start. Welcome to another episode of the Capital Spotlight Podcast. This is episode 20 with Dave Thompson from Thompson Investing. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Rob. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, known you for quite a while, seen you do some great things, so excited to dive in. Uh, first, let's learn more about your, your background and, and what you're focused on today. Sure. Uh, I'll give me a quick background, try to get you there uh, in 60 seconds or less. Uh, I worked in corporate America for about 20 years, always had an interest in finance and investing and things like that. Decided to leave the corporate world about five years ago, uh, got involved in syndication, uh, working on the GP side of uh, multifamily deals uh, and had so much fun doing that, expand that out, start offering some other niches, um, self-storage, mobile home parks and things like that and grew an investor base around that. I uh, primarily work with investors. Uh, I do invest and, in, you know, go to all the properties that I and then eventually talk to my investors about. But uh, yeah, I just found the space very fascinating, interesting. I love being an entrepreneur and um, wish I would have done it uh, a lot earlier. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, good stuff. So something that I hear you say a lot is that your business relies heavily is, and is really all about partnerships. So mm-hmm. right. share more right. about share more about your partnerships and what you're looking for from your existing partners as well as potential new partners to work with. Sure. That's a great question. Cause always in this dynamic, right? Um, as I started, uh, I worked with one particular operator, multifamily um, in Texas where I, I live and uh, uh, it's actually been a great place to invest. So I was fortunate to be close by and got involved in that. And um, you know, as I started working uh, with that group that we were doing the same types of value add multifamily in, in Dallas, Texas. And, uh, uh, you know, I was growing an investor base around offering those opportunities, educating them about this, offering, those, offering those opportunities to investors. And it dawned on me, I had a degree in financial planning uh, when I got out of college and it dawned on me that my real passion and interest was helping people like myself. I was thinking about myself, obviously when you start a business, if you can do something you love to do, it's great. It doesn't feel like work. And what ended up happening is I felt like I was just kind of sharing this with friends and family. And as this thing grew to you know, four or 500 investors later, it was just like, I just feel like I'm still doing the same process. I go there, I bet, I work with operators that I'm comfortable with, I like to work with, they're smart, they're, they're conservative, uh, they're in markets I like, they're doing a niche that I like, and they're in geography that I like. So uh, I just took that and expanded it and I would add operator partners uh, as I heard about it from my peers uh, or I came across them some way, some, some fashion through some thought leadership I was doing or something. And uh, um, I, I tend to not be transactional. I don't deal with one partner and do a deal and then you know, off to somebody else. I, I think that's too much risk. So uh, it's really imperative to me and my investors that we develop a relationship with a, a partner that makes sense on the platform that we're working on. You know, it's multifamily. We like that space. Okay. We like the niche. We're in a market that we weren't in before, but we like the market because it's growing and we're not there. So we're looking for, we're underrepresented. So we might be looking for a partner there. Um, and we might be looking for a new niche once in a while. Uh, and then that looks, that leads us into vetting sponsors and, and new opportunities. But I work with <clears throat> a small handful of five to six partners across three niches. We do, we're a little bit more heavy in multifamily just because we want different geographies and different reaches. But uh, I think it's important to my investors that we stay fresh and, um, you know, we might have an operator kind of go stale or decide to do something completely different that turns us off. You know, I, I really want the operator partner focused on one niche. Uh, I don't really have, I have a, a, a couple operators that are kind of eclectic, you know, but they're not really operators. They're, they have a fund or something like that. And they're, 
they're out doing research and meeting operator partners like I am. And then we work together maybe on a deal to bring our investors to it. So that would be the only, uh, uh, you know, kind of off channel that we work. But for the most part, it's, it's really finding people you like to work with that are really smart and really understand their niche in an area, uh, geography that they, you know, I don't like working with someone who's in 10 different geographies. It doesn't make sense. How do you get good? You know, how do you get those relationships with the property manager, the, the brokers, how do you get to get those off-market deals once in a while? You're not going to get that all over the place. So, yeah, focus is big to me. I can go to a website. <laughs> I can go to a website. I, if it's not clear and they're all over the place with the strategy, it, it, it kind of, I, I, stop, I stop my research pretty much right there. <laughs> yeah. Good points. <clears throat> yeah, something interesting about, you know, being really focused in a market. Um, my analyst told me the other day that, you know, you could spend 90% of your effort on deal sourcing in a market but it's that last 10% to get to a hundred that actually is where the juice is. And that's where you're going mm-hmm. to get, be the first call for, for the brokers mm-hmm. on off market deals and, and blown up deals and things like that. Yeah. So it's really is yeah. that, that last, you know, 10, 20% of effort. You can't just kind of put your feelers out broadly into markets and, and right. expect to be successful. So I agree. It's a great, it's a great point. And I think the, the operator partners have been most successful with have done the most deals in a singular market where, those brokers are coming to them and, and uh, they know that they've, they've often uh, done deals with the same seller uh, in a market and, and they, 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 they get word of a, a hey, the seller is going to unload some more properties. They already had a successful experience with the operator because they closed the deal on time. They didn't have a lot of pain points in that process. <laughs> so you're much easier to deal with. And I think that there's where another place where people win deals more often than not by having familiarity of their, of their name and their brand in a market, right? Another thing you mentioned was not wanting to be transactional. And I think that's obviously a great way to be. Uh, So with that in mind, do you have a specific target uh, sponsor size in mind? If you're thinking, you know, you don't want them to be too big because they maybe outgrow you or or just Mm -hmm. have other options. They not too small because you need to make sure that they're competent. So what's that sweet spot in sponsor size? That's an awesome question. Um, I, I think about that internally in my, my business. Um, if I'm focusing on the essentials, it's really, I love to find operators who kind of are four or five deals into their program in a certain market. Uh, they don't necessarily have to exit, you know, lots of deals. I mean, it, I don't want to get it to a point where they get too big and then they're like, they have all sorts of different accesses to capital. Uh, those relationships I haven't dealt, developed a, a deep relationship with, so I might not get the first look at their deals and bring my investors to them. So uh, I also want to look for an operator who's not so fantastic at raising capital <laughs> because uh, I see people out there that uh, the partners, there's one or two partners that may be really good at that. And then, you know, you may only ride that wave for a little while and then then you, you're, you're not getting that many deals for your investors and then they become kind of a, you know, they may like this operator, but they're not getting opportunities. That could be one thing, but, uh, uh, and you don't want to go too early in, you know, one or two, they've only done one deal or two deals. I've done that before it worked out. Okay. Just because I knew the people really well, I knew they were going to be successful. And, uh, but still I think two investors are going to be looking for at least some kind of, you know, biography that you've done this four or five deals, maybe you've exited one or, you know, you've had some success to show that that helps my uh, efforts when I'm talking to investors, you know. Good stuff. So speaking of raising capital, <clears throat> let's shift in that direction and talk about your capital raising process. You said you started mm-hmm. from just family and friends and then it organically grew to something yeah. that's, you know, a pretty impressive size. So how, mm-hmm. how did you go about that and, and, you know, share some of your, your keys to success? 
Yeah, I mean, one of my, I think the most important thing for me, and uh, you know, I've written on blogs on this. I actually have a capital raising course. I always think about if I'm mentoring somebody in this space, what's the most important thing? The, the number one most important thing is is partnering with experts. So I think that would be very uh, important. It may seem obvious and intuitive to people, but you would be surprised how many. Like if I've gone to a multifamily meetup group, it's it's more do-it-yourselfers and. I'll, I'll listen to people in the room and, and, and I go to those things for a while and I'll, I'll see people partnering up and there's nothing wrong with that. But oftentimes they're, they're not really evaluating those people as their experience level, uh, how they fit and complement each other in a skill level set. You know, you want, you want two people who like to talk to people and educate people and not, not enough people who like analyze properties or good at property manager or project managers. <laughs> I just find that, that that's, that's the biggest disconnect right there. Um, it's just, uh, you know, really understanding how uh, if you can if you can line yourself with experts, and I'm not just talking about mentoring and coaching. I'm talking about people who are actually doing something. You can be part of that team. Um, if you can do that in any form of capacity, I started because I was being mentored by a, a person who um, was in the space that eventually I wanted to do on my own. But I ended up deciding. I didn't want to go find my own deals. I wanted to be part of this team, and I found my role being really good at educating or liking it anyway, I've started liking it. I like educating investors about opportunities, investing in commercial real estate assets that they never had any training on, education on. You know, we're so um, enamored, not enamored, but we're so overwhelmed with financial news around stocks and bonds and retirement accounts and not really people getting much education on the really cool sector of a passive income through real estate and um, that kind of thing. So, you know, I really think altogether, uh, you know, altogether, I, I would just say that, you know, the experience of the operator and lining yourself up with those types of operators in any form or fashion you can do even for free, which I did. I, I proposed I just work with the person for free. I just want to get experiences after three months in their program because you're, yeah, sure. You're going to learn how this skill works anyway. When you want to go buy your own apartment, you're going to learn to talk to investors. And I ended up really latching onto that, learning a ton about syndication just because I had one role on the team, right? I had to go to the property, I had to do some due diligence. I had to uh, understand how decks are put together and structured to educate investors. I had to talk to investors. I had to help them through the process, educate them every step of the process from the subscription agreement and the funding and then, and then the reporting, all the stuff that we do with the investor, the whole site. So you learn a ton. You learn a ton um, by getting involved and working with really good people. Yeah. Great. There's definitely some ways we can take this conversation based on all those good things you said. One of the things I want to bring up is <clears throat> the reporting you mentioned, um, you know, share kind of your reporting process and, and what you look to see in, in, in ideal reporting and, you know, how you use that to, you know, make your investors feel informed, yeah. comfortable, confident. It's a great topic right now. I mean, with the, with the COVID year going on, it's a fantastic uh, topic because, uh, and I'm dealing with enough operators to see what's really good and what's not so good. <laughs> I'm not saying it's bad, but I'm like, I always look at it and, and I always would give them thoughts about how to do things. I do co-brand the reports, you know, I'm working with the team. I co-brand, I don't change a lot of things in the content, but I do see how sometimes the content's too much. Uh, it's too detailed. You know, I had 16 people come to the property and look at it this month and five renewed and four didn't. I think sometimes for my investors, it's not it's too much, you know, they just, they're busy people, they're accredited investors already, they're successful in some form or fashion. They, they want kind of the, the quick updates, you know, what's the occupancy level, what's trending, what, you know, how things are working with our, 
the rents that were, were uh, on, on refurnished apartments, how's that going? Um, but I, I tell you, I have an operator I work with. The reports are just so clean. I, 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 I like the way they do it. They, they give me a really good picture of the financials without, you know, I can always get, take a deeper look, but it's a really nice snapshot of, of, you know, how do we do that quarter in a very short five, seven lines? You know, here's what it is. Here's our cash position. Here's where we are. Here's what came in. Here's what went out. It's really simple. Anybody can, can look at that and get a really good glimpse where a lot of operators don't want to show that. And you have to climb through a bunch of reports to figure out things. Um, and, but, but during you know, the other thing about communication, when times are difficult, um, you want to be communicating more with your investors, right, Rob? I mean, you know, uh, it's not always rosy out there, and uh, but you you know you have to communicate in a way that still ensues confidence with your investors. You may have some issues you're working through, and that's fine. Be upfront with them. Don't hide those issues if they're meaningful issues. Um, but also uh, understand with your investors how you're resolving those. What's your action plan? And stay on point with those kind of things. And um, you know that really shows uh, those investors that you care about them. But you don't want to be, if you're reporting quarterly, most, most apartment investors do monthly, but if uh, some of the other niches I'm in kind of report quarterly, <clears throat> but during COVID, it's like I was encouraging them and they, they agreed that we need to be, you know, sending something out at least monthly. It's just a short email. Hey, what's going on with all the rules and regulations about this? Hey, I can't evict anybody. You know, what does that mean? Uh, you know, just explaining things to investors so they can understand if you, postpone distributions or, you know, I want to conserve capital during this time that there's a good understanding and caution around why you do that. And, and not just, Hey, I, you know, if you're, if you're not reporting that regularly in frequency and all of a sudden you stop distributions and people are just kind of scratching their head, you haven't done a good job of pre-wiring them on the environment and kind of what's going on. Yeah. I know you're a big fan of not, not just monthly um, communication, but also monthly distributions. Yeah, I think that's helpful. Uh, I know uh, uh, some, some operators tell me that's not a big deal once we once you get started and set up on that. Um, I think in the apartment space, I, I have kind of a, a mix of quarterlies and monthlies. Um, if you have investors that are kind of retirement focused or thinking about going full time to part time or or looking to get out of the workforce altogether and live off income, that monthly becomes more important. I also find that uh, when you're distributing quarterly, people, 90 days is a long time for people to think about. So, you know, it, it just seems to be um, easier for people. I get more questions on quarterly than monthly, surprisingly, because people are like, hey, is it, is it time yet? It's like two months. <laughs> it's two months into it. And you're saying, no, one more quarter. You know, you're just, it's just people kind of get off that cycle. And, um, you know, so monthly just seems to be a little bit easier. Another thing you mentioned before was, as you were getting involved in the business, just by taking your little slice, which is capital raising and investor relations, you got exposure to the whole process, which obviously is extremely helpful um, mm -hmm. for, you know, it's good to know everything to then be able to excel at, at the one aspect mm -hmm. um, in terms of, and one thing you mentioned was the investor process from the subscription agreement, you know, also building the deck and things like that. And, mm -hmm. and so, you mentioned, you know, you've grown your platform to something like 400, 500 investors, which is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a lot of volume. So how have you leveraged processes, technology, team to allow you to, to get all that done with, with that many investors? Yeah, another good question, Rob. I think, you know, we, we keep a pretty lean shop, um, you, you know, and I, I would say I'm not as 
um, sophisticated in what you could probably could do. Um, you know, I, I use simple tools, MailChimp, for <laughs> kind of, which also kind of as my CRM tool. You know, I, I really use, uh, and I still today continue to kind of use some spreadsheets on on activities and things like that. Eventually, it'll get, it'll get into MailChimp, but I communicate through MailChimp. I find that's pretty professional looking uh, materials, whether that's a newsletter or reports going out, that type of thing. I have a portal. Uh, what's interesting about the investor portal is I realize it's become a really a nice tool. Um, if I'm getting ready to have a meeting with a client or I'm getting ready to, um, you know, someone has a question, uh, it's so easy to go to your portal and find out, you know, hey, did we get the distribution in there right? Or, you know, the portal has become more of an answering place for my questions than um, it, you know, it also gives people a, an opportunity to answer their own questions. Um, you know, I wasn't getting a distribution or I didn't think I got a distribution. Um, they can check or my bank says I got this and I, they can check the portal what, and, and see what they actually got. So um, I find the portal is really nice and you, you don't have to have a portal maybe when you first start, uh, but certainly you want to kind of look to invest in something like that. So I would say the portal and MailChimp are kind of my tools, if anything. So much of the business is, is email and a little bit of texting here and there and phone calls. And, you know, I, I, I usually work, I work out of the house primarily just because it saves me so much time. I don't really meet too many clients in the area. I mean, my clients are nationwide. Uh, and uh, so that's, that's not so important. I may meet people at a coffee shop, but I keep my expenses low. I keep my commuting and time, I, you know, in efficient, I keep pretty efficient time because I don't have to be commuting and stuck in traffic and, and worrying about other logistical stuff around having an office and things like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, I have my spouse uh, very involved in my business. I have a project manager um, that works on things like we, we launched a capital raising course. We, we've got, uh, she helped me with a book. Um, so I, I do have access to, to someone kind of on a part-time basis, uh, which is very important. Um, if it wasn't my spouse, I guess I probably could get a virtual assistant. I hear a lot of people in the business do that for a lot of things that are uh, repeat activities and things. But uh, I kind of like, I probably stay more in touch with the business by staying more involved with the business. Um, and, and, and so that's it's kind of a two-edged sword. One, you don't want to get too much in the business because you're not thinking about the business, <laughs> right? You get to the weeds. But on the other hand, it also helps me recognize when things um, could be fixed or changed or improved with, with customer experience uh, or, you know, how uh, I'm getting questions and those kind of things. I think if I outsource that, that could get lost somewhere in some way. At the end of the day, I need to be talking to investors. It's a, it's a, it's that type of business. It's a relationship business. I have to be talking to investors. So um, if anything, it's time management. It's trying to stay, you know, having an online calendar, making things efficient. People schedule time with me, but not too much, to, you know, I can't be on the calls a long time. Um, but I'm willing to take time with, especially with initial investors. You know, I don't, I hear some people say, well, you know, you, you said it makes you sound more important if you just schedule 30 minutes and that's it with people and you got another call, whether you have one or not. I'm like, that's, I want to be myself and I'm gonna be realistic. Most new calls with investors can take an hour. And, and if I, I know if I schedule it for a half hour, I'm not going to have another meeting right behind it. I'll push it because I, invariably a new investor call, if you're qualifying an investor and they may be new to the space, there's a lot to talk about, <laughs> right? I better invest that hour and most of the time that that's that oftentimes that pans out very well. That's a very interesting take. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. <clears throat> I have a interesting question for you. So what are you looking for from sponsors and their deals that you rarely find? So 
kind of to explain a bit more, is there a strategy or is there a, you know, a way a deal is underwritten or, you know, things like that from a sponsor that you, you want, but you're just not seeing, seeing it out there very much. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I guess you can answer in a couple of different ways. You know, you, you definitely want to look for uh, operators that are conservative. Now, what I do is I've hired, um, I didn't mention this person, but I do I hire a person who's uh, very experienced in underwriting, looking at a lot of multifamily deals, for instance. So uh, although I feel I'm pretty good at looking at an underwriting spreadsheet and looking for four or five things that are important to me, um, I also want to outsource that. So I get a third party review of, of the underwriting. Um, that might be unique. I don't know, but I, I find that my investors, even though I'm lining up as a general partner in a lot of the issuer deals, uh, my investors want to know that I'm not a marketing arm of uh, an operator. In other words, they have a deal and I have to market it. I don't have to do anything. It's an independent review. If I like to deal, um, then uh, I'm also having a third party look at the numbers and those types of things. So uh, that's helped me get better. Um, <clears throat> I, I don't really think it's magic. I think I, I really just want an operator focused on one or two markets that are doing the same type of thing. They're not you know, they're not into new construction and multifamily. They're not doing heavy lifts and soft, uh, you know, lifts, uh, not even soft lifts, but, you know, what do they call them? Some type of renovation that's uh, light. Light renovation is the word I want to use. Uh, typically, the, the investors, the operators I do get just really good at something and are repeating it. And I tend to end up doing more deals than not because they don't, they're not really changing their criteria too much. Um, but markets do change. I'm in Austin, Texas right now. It's really hard to find <laughs> any kind of a deal. And if you get a deal, it's, you know, the, the cap rates and his credit getting kind of crazy. So I don't know. The operator will ask me, what do you think? Do you think investors would be interested in a, you know, 11 IRR or a 12 IRR? I'm like, you know, if it's the right market, let's, we can test it out. It's just, you know, it's not going to be a cash flowing thing. Really. They're going to have to look for an appreciation type play like you're, like you're used to in California, <laughs> you know, um, but, but yeah, it's, it's just a really good question you have. There's not one like silver bullet. Um, I just, you know, I like to be closer with my partners. I like to get the first look at things from them and get an opportunity to bring my investors to it. Um, and uh, I guess what I think I mentioned it earlier, I don't really, you know, I'd rather, if I met an operator who's, you know, everybody raises a little bit of capital. If I read an operator who's like, listen, Dave, I don't like dealing with investors. You do that. My expertise is finding really good deals and spending my energy here. And then you've got another person that's great at executing a business plan. And that would be an ideal partner for me. Because if, if it's to a point where you're out there doing all this stuff to attract investors, I, I just think at some point I'm going to be limited and helping you because this is what I do best. And if I can, uh, I told someone the other day, my ideal operator is they hate raising capital. They're not good at it. They're, they've done four or five deals and now they're trying to get bigger, but they did it with like 30 relatives and friends and family. And they're getting tapped out. And I'm like, great, you've shown success in this one or two markets, four or five deals. I'm a, I think I would love to talk to you more. Let's bet each other out. But man, it'd be a great, that's a great place to come in. Yeah, great stuff. So you mentioned return requirements and kind of trying to understand uh, mm -hmm. where investors are at. <clears throat> what uh, what have you seen? 
just generally speaking? And then due to COVID, how have return expectations changed and are invest, you know, what are they looking for in terms of a, of a pref and, and a cash flow and then IRRs? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a broad question. I know uh, it's my responsibility to reset investor expectations. And in fact, I got a, I'm getting ready to write a blog this week on that. Um, I got an uh, email from an investor uh, late last week and we had put our quarterly reports out and it was self-storage. And the reason I'm in multifamily self-storage mobile home parks, they, they are recession resistant, but that does not mean that they can't go down, uh, right? And, and um, you know, I have data. I have a book out uh, that I did and it, was, it had good data back to 2000, well, it showed in 2009 how apartment self-storage mobile home parks held up during a recession. And mobile home parks was number one. They actually had like a 0.07% positive, right? Uh, and then self storage went down 3%. And that just means if you sell, right? That just means if you sold the asset, right? Which, you know, you don't want to sell in a downturn. But if you did, that's the data would suggest you were down 3%. The stock market was down 22%, Rob, in 2009. So we're showing all these indices. And I'm like, my point was that's recession resistant. Now let's understand what my email was. I got this email from the investor and self storage is a little bit different apartments. It typically starts out pretty low cash flow. Could be 3% year one, 5% year two. It's not like typical apartments where you might be in that five to eight range, you know, fairly quickly in, in normal times. And we distribute uh, for, so it's 4% for the first quarter on this deal which uh, for the full year. So we distribute 1% a year, right? We distribute 1% a year. We're kind of coming to the end of the first quarter. We sent the investors 0.75%, which meant we we're going to be, uh, we're looking at maybe the next couple of quarters running around a 3% annualized return. And we said because of COVID, the property is in uh, a part of Florida. It's kind of a resort area. So the, it's an island, it's Key West. So it's been shut down. Uh, four months during COVID earlier this year, it could shut down again. <laughs> COVID spiking uh, doesn't help business. Uh, and but the investors' response to me, it was I could say they texted, and maybe they had a bad day, but it was like they wanted to know why they didn't get the one percent. They said, "My bank account got three seventy five, not five hundred, which I was expecting on a, you know, whatever their investment was." And then they, their response was just really quick. I'm just very disappointed. This is not as a recession-resistant niche as I thought. And <laughs> myself, I'm like, well, if they were, if they're in retail or a hotel or Airbnb or you know, you name it, um, office, you're getting killed right now, and, and you know, you're not getting any distributions at all. You're probably losing your assets. Could have probably sold at a fire sale if you had to sell this year. I don't know. But I'm like, recession-resistant does not mean you can't go down, right? You cash it doesn't mean you, we might. Uh, Stop distributions. We, we're going to conserve capital. It simply just means, you know, resetting your expectations with investors that, uh, and that's why my blog's coming out. I'm like, I got to tell people like, listen, recession resistant. And this look, here's the data in 2009. It doesn't mean you can't lose money. Now we're going to smack up sell assets in a downturn, but you certainly should be okay and understand why we may not have a distribution or lower distribution than expected because when we do the five-year projections or six-year projections in the asset, this is based on a normal cycle, right? It could be up, it could be down, but on a normal over six years. We're one year into the investment. We're not like six years into this thing. <laughs> we're one year in, it's too early. Number two, we're in a, a recession, a pandemic-led recession. So, you know, 
be real, be realistic. I guess <laughs> that's my response. It'll be, listen, let's understand it. It's a long game, ups and downs, nothing linear here going on. Um, we're not overly worried about the asset. Just uh, I need to reset expectations. And I think with the, with overall your return numbers, Rob, like you're in multifamily. I mean, if you're getting zero in a savings account, you're getting no returns, you're, 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 stock market could be artificially inflated right now, which could be very risky. Um, you know, the, the investment theme for apartments and self-storage mobile home, it really hasn't changed, uh, uh, in my opinion, the investment theme, you know? And so um, just reset expectations, returns may not be the same, you know, forecasted as we did a couple of years ago, but in relatively speaking, it's still very attractive. You know, as long as you're not overpaying and, and, and have a team that can't execute and don't know what they're doing. So speaking of COVID and the changes, how are you, if at all, changing your business itself and your strategies or structure um, in this time? Yeah, it's, I think COVID gives you an opportunity because people aren't expecting a lot of deals right now during the, the year. We, and uh, so, so that's good. People are more cautious. Um, so that gives you an opportunity to kind of look internally on your business. Um, there's a couple of things that I'm doing. I'm going to be, <clears throat> I'm in the process of getting all of my securities license and then working with, and, and the goal is to be a co-principal with a broker dealer. Uh, that's going to offer me an opportunity to do more things, offer me more opportunities uh, with my investors um, in, in, many, in many different ways. So I'm working on a lot of exams right now. <laughs> I took the uh, securities industry exam. I took the uh, 82, which is private placements. And I'm, I'm on my 63, which is state licensing. And then I got to take a, a, a principal license in the Q1. So mostly it's about getting my, uh, my house in order with my business um, and then um, and I've got a really great partner in that business as well. So I'm very excited about, he's more institutional focused. So it'll help us if we have an operator partner who wants to go, has some bigger aspirations, uh, maybe some programmatic investing we could look at doing with, uh, with him because of his investor base, but he's also exposed to other opportunities and operators, which may, may be interested in bringing on to our retail platform. So that's what we're working on. The other thing I did all summer was finish up a capital raising course. We just launched that um, the last month. And so if you know, folks are interested in, in learning more about that skill set, that's something that we're offering. So I work with my project manager and you know, it's 12 hours of modules of, of recordings, 36 20 minute sessions on, on everything from A to Z with syndication and learning how to work with investors and grow an investor, you know, kind of a, a capital raising business around syndication. So. Yeah, those are the, the, the primary activities Rob, I've been involved in during kind of COVID where it's a little bit slower with the, the deal flow. Right. Yeah, that's great stuff. So lastly, we'll, we'll end it on, on this topic, which is what are recommendations you have for sponsors that are looking to raise more capital and whether that's via in partnership with people <clears throat> like yourself or yeah. if they're looking to build and grow their investor network directly? Yeah, well, you know, I think uh, I love uh, you're, you're probably if you're an operator partner, you're probably in the best situation. You know your business, you know your business, so you're really keen on that. I mean, answering investor questions, you have to know a lot about the business and the property you're working with and everything. So you're probably one of the best advocates for educating investors. Um, 
And I think you're always going to want to have your own investors in the deals uh, and you can grow that whether you want to focus on it a lot or a little bit or something like that. Um, you have, if you're doing it yourself, you have your, uh, more control, right? Uh, and you want to grow that investor base and, um, you know, so, so having control and, and your own investors. And I find too, over time, like 90% of my investors in every deal are return investors. So, uh, man, uh, a lot of the work that we did early with them, uh, as long as you're, they're seeing, uh, they're getting customer experience from you and good success with the deals, they get comfortable with the operators you're working with. Uh, those conversations, they, they may not even be conversations, Rob, it's your experience. It could be an email <clears throat> that just says, hey, I'm, I want to invest $1,500,000 because I know you, I like what you're doing. I don't have to have a 30, 40 minute conversation with you about the deal. You've done a good job. Give me a webinar, got the deck, you do the same kind of process. I'm not having, everything's not different every time. So you're consistent. I get it. I like what you're doing. So uh, that, that's the best kind of investors you have. And that's why I find over time, the capital raising business gets a lot easier. Um, but I think you just got to decide what you want to focus on. But uh, if you decide that you don't want to, to do that and you want to go um, or you want to minimize that, then uh, there's groups like myself that would love to, to partner with you and, um, you know, I think you would vet me kind of like I'm vetting you, you know, what's your track record? Because if, you know, I promise I can bring so much, you, you don't want to lose a deal if I don't come through. So, you know, your reputation, your brand is important. Talk around, see these people, what they've done before and, uh, you know, make sure that they're easy to work with and communicate well. And last thing you, you would really want from an inexperienced capital raiser, they just don't understand the business. So they're asking you tons of questions. They're bogging you down. <clears throat> they don't really have a good plan. Um, you know, you're spending way much time in the transactional process of bringing capital that you'd like, you know? Um, so, you know, do your best to work with experienced capitators and, and tell them that, listen, if you work with me and you get in with, with me early, then, you know, here's my, here's my three to five year trajectory and here's what I want to do. And is that line with what you want to do? And, um, you know, we want to keep coming back and working together with you. That's the ideal situation. So, um, just like with my investors, I want my operator partners, it's a small group. Maybe I'll add one here or there now and then. Um, and just same with the capital raisers. You want a, a group of capital raisers that you're comfortable with working with. And I would also advise not just working with one capital raiser because, you know, it could be a situation where I don't like to deal. Uh, it could be, uh, happens. Or more often than not, more often than not, it could happen too. We're already committed to two or three other deals that we're working on. We may not have the firepower that you're looking for. So I think from an operator standpoint, it's good to diversify. Um, uh, you maybe have three to five groups that you're working with that can bring capital or two to three. Um, start with one, see how that goes and do smaller deals with them. And then as they grow, uh, reward them. You know, hey, hey Dave, you get the first look at my deals. And then you tell me how much you can raise. And then I'll start talking to other groups. And that's how I like to work with, you know, the operator partners. I I consistently deliver to, that's my reward. I get the first looks, I meet you at the property, let's do this, let's review it. And if I'm on board, here's my commitment. And then you can relax knowing that we're gonna take care of that piece of it and if you need some more help. But yeah, it's kind of hopefully that some of those informational tips and bits help you a little bit. One that, of your listeners. That's yeah. great stuff. I, uh, I heard a good quote yesterday, which is you, you date your lender, but you marry your equity partner. And I think that is uh, <laughs> along the lines of, you know, not a transactional relationship. It's, yeah. There's so much upfront work to get the first one done. So both right. parties 
have a sigh of relief and go, ah, now the next one, it's more of a you know, yeah. plug and play. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's exactly right. Um, yeah. And it, it, I think from an, you're looking at it from an investor's perspective, you know, they, they do not want to see me coming out with all sorts of new operators. They have to think about, they like, Oh, Hey, this group I've had success with it. It becomes easier for me too to work with them. Cause again, it could just be an email and reserve a spot. That's what I was exactly looking for, you know? Um, but I do like to keep things fresh. Um, and you know, maybe once in a while, like even last year we did two different, completely different niches we normally not do. And not that I'm looking to blow it up and, 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 um, and uh, non-correlated assets. I, that was my theme. I still want non-correlated type assets. But, you know, I had investors doing 15, 20 multifamily deals over five years. And they, they've got a lot of investment in apartments. And certainly they've done well. And I think they'll still do fine with those investments. But, you know, putting my kind of my hat on as far as diversification, different things, I felt that I didn't want to get stale with my investors. So we went into, uh, I, I got into a factoring business. And I also got into a, uh, 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 a legal financing, you know, type of, of a fund. And I, I did well with the capital raise for those people, but I told them it's a little more speculative, right? It's, it's, um, these are opportunities we will bring from time to time to keep things fresh. It's maybe, maybe it's a little icing on the cake, but it's not the cake. Um, and for most of them. So, um, uh, but, 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 but by and large, it's the mainstream stuff, you know, it's the mainstream, uh, apartments is a huge part of it. And, I want to make sure I'm in different geographies with really quality operators that I can consistently go to. And they're, they're doing enough deals. It's another thing, Rob, you know, if you just do one deal a year and I may or may not be playing in that deal, it doesn't really stick. So we want an operator that's growing fast enough, but maybe not get their, you know, get ahead of their skis either. You know, that could be, you know, we're trying to do, two to four deals a year, three to five deals a year in a normal year, if we can find them, great. You're going to have some off years. People understand that. You're going to have some deals where everything just lines up, but uh, there's a certain amount of volume a capital raising partner wants to see from you because I don't want, I don't, I don't want to have 10 or 15 partners and you know, I see one deal once in a while from you. It's harder to get a lot of energy around that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So something I forgot to ask earlier was about, your sponsors, your operators coming to you with a new deal. And obviously these are typically people that you have a existing relationship with and, and, and the trust is there. So at what point do you want them to share the deal with you? Uh, you said you like to get the first look. So do you want to wait until a full deck is created and the deal's under contract or do you, are you okay with, you know, a quick email with information? Yeah. Yeah. Typically I don't need to see all of that information. Um, Again, that gets back to the relationship, right? If we've done, you know, first of all, there's timing issues with that, right? You, you need to kind of, you see a property, you just got it under contract. Then this, this you know, this due diligence starts and you've got a lot of things going. Um, but the investor discussions need to start fairly early in that process. So um, I think a typical good idea for me is I want to see the property. So I would want like, hey, hey uh, someone reaching out to me and saying, uh, here's the here's where it is. Here's the business plan around it. Here's kind of high level financials we're looking at. Kind of give me this, you know, 80-20 high level on it. Looks pretty good. How much do you need? That kind of stuff. And to see if it's in our wheelhouse and the timing's right and everything. Because you want a quick answer too on your capital partners. You don't want this long ordeal and I have to wait for everything before I make a decision. 
Uh, that, and that's why working with the same partners over and over again makes it much easier. I, I'm not gonna, I'm not expecting a curveball, you know, after I already committed, you know, two weeks later. I'll typically want to see the property, walk the property within 10 days or less of you calling me and meeting you there with the broker, the property manager, and, and just really understand the business plan, the submarket, the competitors around there, get a good feel. I want to do that always because I do a trip report. I want to have that accessible. Investors don't really ask me for that, but they certainly ask. Hey, it's, it's not uncommon for someone to say, hey, have you seen the property? But I've told my, I've educated my investors over and over again that I, I, get, I see every deal, you know, so they kind of know that. But yeah, I, I think it's reasonable within, uh, you know, to, to give, I give a soft commit. Like you, you call me and we've kind of done some business together. Then it's like, okay, here's kind of, what do you think can you do? Sometimes they'll tell me a number and sometimes I say, what can you do? That kind of thing. You know, I can maybe bring three to five million to something like this. If it, this is kind of the high level of it, let's meet next week at the property. And I'm just more confirming something at that point. Uh, I know the investment decks, you know, under development, but I don't need to necessarily see all of the investment summary. You're, you're telling me the four or five business plan points. I, I, I can kind of get that. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, that's all I had for you today. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the show. <clears throat> Let listeners know, uh, you know, next steps to reach out to you or, or learn more about uh, Thompson investing. Sure. Yeah. So uh, the website's thompsoninvesting.com. It's all one word, T-H-O-M-P-S-O-N investing.com. Uh, you can send an email to me at david at thompsoninvesting.com. But if you go to the website, I have a lot of blogs in there. I've got a couple of downloadable eBooks. Uh, so you can learn a little about us as well. You can schedule an appointment. Uh, I love to talk to investors or new investors just kind of understand what you're doing, what you're trying to do. And, um, you know, we, we do, um, you know, quite a bit of deal flow and, and, and working in areas that we think are, are safe places for investors to be. So, Love to talk to you a little bit about what you're trying to do. And then um, if you're interested in learning about uh, like a tap raising or something like that from a more active part of the business, then certainly um, I've got some information I can send you on the uh, capital raising course. Okay. Good stuff. Thanks again for coming on the show. All right, Rob. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Take care. Have a great day.